this morning as part of the service. Thank you as a congregation for singing, and thank you, for band, for being willing to lead us in that way. Now I do need the help of a young person. All right. Somebody's hand went up already, so come right on up here. You can help back. And now it's time to open our Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18, starting with verse 41. I'm going to have to remember when Jerry comes up here, he likes to adjust my notes. I'm assuming they're still in order. Weren't you the guy that took them the first time I spoke? Yeah. (laughs) He came up with his own notes and took mine back, but we're still fine here. 1 Kings, chapter 18, starting with verse 41. Uh, How would you like to be a superhero? There's a game on the market created by Marvel that gives you that opportunity. It's manufactured by the same Marvel that produces the famous Spider-Man, Iron Man, Hulk, and X-Men comic books. The game is called I Can Do That. It's a hero training game. 
The ad for the game says, being a superhero means facing challenges with a can-do attitude. In this game, you will train to be a superhero by performing unexpected feats of skill. At any time, you may be called upon to put your training to the test by battling the villainous Green Goblin. Have fun and discover all the new things you can do. Sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? Well, I assume since the game is recommended for children between three and four years of age, they will not be rocketing through the air like Iron Man, swinging between buildings like Spider-Man, nor throwing semi-tractor trailer trucks around as does the Incredible Hulk. In fact, from further reading of the description of the game, it appears mainly participants will be flicking a spinner with their fingers and trying to crawl through a plastic hoop. Uh, The game is probably fun, but if someone really thinks it will equip them to perform like a superhero, there will be disappointment. People cannot actually do as fantasy characters in comic books do. Now, this is no reason for disillusionment. This is no reason for despondency nor discouragement. If you are hoping to someday turn into Captain America, Wolverine, Doctor Strange, or the Mighty Thor, it's not going to happen. But that's okay, because there is a better opportunity for every one of us that is truly reality. We cannot do what Spider-Man does, but we can do like the prophet Elijah did. And by the way, even Spider-Man can't do what Spider-Man does because Spider-Man only lives in a world of imagination. He does not exist. He never did exist. I hope this is not news to you. (laughs) On the other hand, Elijah was a real person. He did exist. We are real persons. The spiritual power Elijah experienced in his real life can be now experienced in our real lives. Listen to the words of the New Testament writer, James, in James 5.17. He said, Elijah was a human being even as we are. Those are such important words as we study Elijah to understand. He was like us. We are like him. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. In the verse before James 5.17, we find these words, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. A righteous person can do something in this world that is powerful and effective. I've experienced this kind of thing in my own life. On the first Sunday of May in the year 1975, I graduated from Oak Hills Bible Institute One week later, it was May 11th of 1975, I started pastoring a church in Presho, South Dakota. At that time, Mary and I had not quite been married a full year. We had a baby girl named Rebecca who was less than two months old, and we had no money. Uh, Somehow, we'd found a way to pay the hospital for costs surrounding the birth of our daughter, and we'd managed to pay our school bills. And then we scraped together enough cash to drive from northern Minnesota, Bemidji, where the Bible Institute was, all the way down to Presho, South Dakota, where we would start our new work. But it had taken every dollar we had to do this. And as with many employment situations, we would not receive our first paycheck until the end of the first month we'd been there. I guess as a young man, I had not thought far enough ahead because there we were four weeks to go and absolutely no money. Mary and I estimated our needs. 
We had to purchase gas, groceries, and buy some or pay some fees for water and electric hookups and so on. We had come up with a minimum figure of $189. We said, that's what we need to make it through this month. And by the way, some of you younger people, this was a long time ago. $189 went farther than it goes today. Well, we had no money. And I did the only thing I knew how to do, and that is I prayed. Mary and I both prayed. We asked God to supply our need. On that same day in which we prayed specifically about our need, I went to the post office to get our mail. Several letters were waiting for us, and in one of them was a check. The amount was $75. It was an unexpected gift from a relative. In another envelope, we found a check for $114. It was an unexpected refund from our school bill. Apparently, we'd overpaid something, and so some money was sent back to us. The two checks together added up to $189, the exact amount we had believed we needed when praying. I do not believe that was coincidence. I am absolutely convinced God answered our prayer. The God who heard Elijah also heard Mary and I. That was 43 years ago. And I could tell you many stories about ways we've seen prayer answered since. Answers to prayer in our own lives and then beyond that, answers to prayer we know about in the lives of others. I can also tell you times about struggle or times of struggle and lessons learned about personal responsibility. I could talk about the need to budget wisely. I can say the normal course of life is for people to use the brains and bodies God has given us to supply our daily bread. Miraculous answers have not always come my way, for uh, miracles do not exist to be compensation for laziness, irresponsibility, and foolishness. So there have been plenty of times when we've been challenged in a variety of ways. But all that being said, with recognition of the need to obey biblical teaching about labor and about practical aspects of life, listen carefully, even so, as God's people, we are to believe that God answers prayer, and we are to understand that the same power of prayer possessed by the heroes of the Bible is our power too. And this is where down south the congregation would say, Amen. Amen. Thank you. With this in mind, it's time to consider three main things from the text before us today. The first is the foretelling of rain. We're back in the Old Testament. An amazing event has just finished. In answer to prayer, fire has come down from heaven to consume a sacrifice. This occurred as testimony and proof that the God of Elijah is the true and living God. A gruesome happening followed this. As part of their reaction to the display of God's power and in their realization of the need to repent from idols, the people of Israel joined with Elijah to slaughter the prophets of Baal. They killed 450 of them. Then after that, Elijah spoke to King Ahab, and 1 Kings 18.41 tells us what he said. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Now, that statement involves both scorn and faith. By saying to Ahab, go eat and drink, he was mocking the king. Elijah was saying, hey, you're safe. False prophets are all dead, but you aren't. You can relax. Go get something to eat. It's even going to rain. You're getting off easy. That was the scorn. But then he also said, it's going to rain. 
This was a confident prediction. He had faith, rain was on the way, and an important question to ask is, why did he have this faith? It had not rained in three and a half years. In verse 43, we learn there was not a single cloud in the sky, not even a small cloud in the sky, but the prophet was convinced a big rain was coming. Where did he get this idea? We need to look carefully at the last few words of verse 41. Notice Elijah said there is the sound of heavy rain. Now, what did he mean by that? Did he actually hear rain? And if it was a heavy rain he heard, why didn't anybody else hear it? Was he the only one who was hearing this sound? Well, the ancient Hebrew word at this point translated sound, as in sound of rain, literally means noise, as in a hum. Maybe you remember a term you could have learned in high school English class if you were paying attention. The term was and is onomatopoeia. It indicates a word that sounds like what it's describing. For example, we know the word oink means the noise a pig makes. And supposedly, supposedly, oink not only means the noise a pig makes, but apparently a pig sounds like oink oink. I'm not convinced of that, but that's the general idea. Well, with the ancient Hebrew word, it's the same thing. The word translated sound, and when it was spoken, as far as I understand from what the scholars and researchers say, the word was spoken with sort of a hum, it was sort of a humming sound. And the meaning of the word, first and foremost, is that which is audible as an actual sound, but it also contains the idea of sensing something or feeling something as in a vibration, for a hum is actually a vibration. And if you look up the word dic- the sound in the dictionary, you'll discover the actual definition of the word sound is vibration. This is not a perfect comparison, but a dog whistle comes to mind. A dog whistle is also known as a silent whistle. It's a whistle which emits an ultrasonic sound that humans do not hear, but dogs do. The whistle is used so people are not disturbed by the same noise the animals hear. Well, it seems that Elijah was hearing a sound others did not hear. He was sensing something that was basically what you might call a supernatural vibration. He was tuned into what God was doing in a way that others were not. Have you ever sensed something from God? Have you ever had a feeling... Maybe an unexplainable feeling that you really believed was coming to you from God. Have you ever felt like somehow, some way, God was telling you something? Let's approach it from another direction. Do we really believe in the supernatural? Do we believe there's a mystical aspect to the Christian experience, or do we think everything has to be practical and concrete? Do we believe there are some things about the Christian life which cannot be measured, observed, or calculated like other things are? Now, we have to be careful with this, but the answer is yes. There is a mystical or felt aspect to the Christian life. There is an aspect of having a relationship with God that cannot be explained like other things are explained. There are times when God does show us things, speak to us by way of an inner leading, and direct us by His Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit that is in us. And I say again, we have to be careful about this, very careful. 
I will admit that much of the time when I hear somebody say, the Lord led me, or the Lord is leading me, I have my doubts. I think there are times when people attribute a thing to God that's just plain old common sense. Anybody could have figured that out. And I think there are other times when people use their so-called leading from God to enforce a personal agenda. In other words, they already want to do it, and so it's very helpful to say God is leading because they kind of plan to do it either way. Thinking back to Bible college days, there were a few occasions when a guy would say to a young lady, I believe God is leading us to go out on a date. And uh, many times the young lady did not feel the same leading. And I actually know of an instance where a young man said to a young lady, I believe the Lord is leading us to get married. And the young lady felt leading to run the other direction. Uh, So this is something that can be abused, and we need to admit that. We need to say that amongst ourselves as as a body of believers. You've got to be careful about this, and this is something about which we can be confused. But at the same time, we must not toss it aside. We must understand that it's also something that can be real. There are times when God does show us things which cannot be logically explained or empirically proven. Years ago, when I was pastoring the Rimrock Evangelical Free Church out west of Rapid City, South Dakota, I had a habit of taking a long walk every morning, and during that walk, I would pray. One morning, as I was walking, I got a tremendous sense about something being wrong with the man who was in leadership in our church. You can almost call it one of those supernatural vibrations. I felt God was telling me, me, deal with that man. Deal with him now. I didn't know what to do about it. Apart from this message, I felt I was hearing from God. I had no reason, certainly no evidence to question the character of the man. Because I couldn't see a problem, I tried to let the matter go. But the Spirit of God would not allow me to let it go. So I called him. I said, I need to talk to you. I drove into Rapid City and connected connected with him at a restaurant. I said, I've never done anything like this before. And please forgive me if I'm in error. But I have to tell you, I believe the Spirit of God is telling me something's wrong about you. And I need you to help me. I need you to tell me, why am I feeling this way? What's going on? The man looked me straight in the eye and he said, no, there's nothing wrong. You don't have a thing to worry about with me. And I walked away from the conversation feeling strange and unsettled. I had no idea what to do next. I still had a sense from God that man was not to be trusted. But he looked me straight in the eye and said, no problem. The next day, I mean the next day, the man was exposed for committing adultery with a lady in our church who supposedly he was counseling. The exposure came about in a totally unexpected way. It shocked everyone, including me. And as the matter unfolded, it was discovered this was a pattern for the man. He'd done it before, many times before, in other churches and ministry situations. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. He went from one place to another, working as a counselor, taking advantage of women who were distressed. He was an expert at it. He was clever and sneaky about it. He would have gotten away with it again had God not led me to confront him, and then had God not graciously taken the circumstance in hand to unmask the deception. I know this is something that God spoke to me about. I have no explanation for that feeling I had that it has to be dealt with other than to say the Spirit of God is real and he spoke to my heart. What did the Apostle Paul say in the New Testament? 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith, not by sight. 
And it's interesting, he didn't just say we're saved by faith, he said we live by faith. There's more to the Christian life than that which can be seen with human eyes. We are involved with the true and living God who is more than this world and beyond this world. And so there are times and there will be times when things happen that defy normal explanation. Miracles are real. God is real. God does strange and wonderful things. And because he does, we can expect over the course of life now and then to find ourselves in the midst of that which is a strange and wonderful thing. Well, Elijah sensed it was going to rain. He was sure it was going to rain. Even though nobody else could hear it, Elijah said, I hear the sound of heavy rain. He knew it was going to happen. And this brings us to the second main thing to consider from the story, the seeking of rain. Whenever we talk of miracles and God's supernatural deeds, it's important to remember human responsibility. There's danger in flippantly saying, God is a God of miracles and wonders. He'll take care of it. I know a man who's repairing the roof of his house. This man is not terribly ambitious. In preparation for putting the new roofing material on his house, he took the old roofing material off. In the process, this opened up a hole in his roof. He decided not to worry about the hole. He had other things he wanted to do. He said, I'll get back to this in a day or two. And he said, if the Lord wants it to rain through that hole, it'll rain. But if the Lord doesn't want it to rain, it won't rain. Well, it rained. Things inside his house got wet. His wife really got angry with him. And his response was, this must be the will of God. And when he told me about it, I thought, don't blame this on God's will. If you'd repaired that hole like you were supposed to, when you should have, it would not have rained inside your house. This is not God's doing. This is your doing. We're not supposed to expect miracles to replace what we're supposed to be doing. An example of 2 Thessalonians 3.10 where the Bible says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who's unwilling to work shouldn't eat. There's clear biblical teaching that Christians are to fulfill basic responsibilities in life. There's clear biblical expectation about the need for us to do work that needs to be done. So let's look at Elijah. He knew miracles could happen. He knew God is a God of wonders. But he also knew he had something to do. He had just foretold rain. He sensed the rain was coming. Nevertheless, he prayed. Verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went to the top of Carmel. <clears throat> then he bowed his knees on the ground and put, or bowed on the ground and put his face between his knees. He was praying for rain. Another New Testament verse, James 5:18, directly tells us, "And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain." Now that's a short statement of scripture. Elijah prayed and it rained. But for Elijah, this prayer was not a short or simple thing. Verse 43, we keep moving here in the text, tells us what happened as he prayed. He said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. By the way, let's pause there for a moment. Have you ever prayed and then said, there's nothing? Prayed about it again and said, there's nothing. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again. 
This was not a quick prayer with everything fixed right away. Elijah prayed. The servant looked to see if there was even a cloud, but no sign of rain was to be seen. Elijah prayed again. The servant looked again. No rain. Elijah prayed again. The servant looked again. No rain. You get the point. Seven times Elijah prayed, and it wasn't till at the end of the seventh time that the rain came. The rain came, or I should say the cloud came, only after persistence in prayer. And this puts before us another matter about which we must be careful when we think of miracles, and that is the fact that God is an amazing God who does amazing things does not mean we should expect amazing things to happen the moment we ask for them. Again and again in the Bible, especially relating to prayer, we are told to persevere, to be resolute, and to hang in there. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray continually. Colossians 4.2 says, be persistent in prayer. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 18 is a passage where a whole story is told by our Lord Jesus Christ to emphasize the need to keep coming to God again and again and again and not to give up on the process of prayer. In our modern world, we may have become accustomed to many things not requiring process. We have microwaves which give us instantly ready meals. We have Keurig machines which give us instant fancy coffees. We have the Internet to give us answers as quickly as we can type in the questions. We have machines that offer instant cash. We have GPS so we can instantly get an update on our location. And there may be a sense in which all of this is conditioning us to think that people nowadays should be able to get whatever they want whenever they want it. And they should be able to know whatever they want whenever they wonder about it. And there may be some aspects of life in our modern times where this, it works this way, but we must understand this is not how it works spiritually. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. That verse and other verses like in the Bible are telling us, yes, our miracle-working God does answer prayer, but asking, seeking, and knocking are involved. Asking, seeking, and knocking indicate a process and indicate the need for patience as we look to God to do what he does. So God does miracles, but we must apply ourselves to the practical disciplines and responsibilities of the Christian life. Which brings us to the third and final part of the story, the arrival of rain. Elijah's prayer was answered, but not the first time he prayed. He had to keep on praying. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 44 tells us what happened the seventh time the the servant checked the clouds. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and get down before the rain stops you. So from the moment the first small cloud appeared, Elijah knew the sound he had heard from God, and he knew that that which he had prayed for was going to happen. He believed it was going to happen in a heavy manner, so it was time to get a move on. He says, Ahab, you need to get back to your palace now, or the rain's going to be so severe, you won't be able to get back there. After three and a half years of drought, a deluge was coming. Verse 45 tells us the rain did come. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Then the last verse of the chapter tells us something unexpected and strange. Verse 46. The power of the Lord came on Elijah. 
And tucking his coat into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. You talk about superhero style. This was a distance of somewhere between 17 and and 30 miles. And notice he tucked his cloak into his belt, almost like a superhero would do. (laughs) But he ran the entire distance, and he arrived ahead of the horse and chariot. On the route back to the palace, Elijah outran Ahab. Now, this is another place in Scripture where critics like to launch their attacks. They say, wait a minute, a man cannot run a horse. Elijah could not have beat Ahab back to Jezreel. This is also a place where, once again, the critics turn out to be wrong and turn out to look foolish. For when it comes to running long distances, did you know human beings can outrun almost any animal? And the reason is the human body cools by sweating rather than panting. Therefore, the human body can stay cool at speeds and distances that overheat most animals. Scientific studies have proven, and I actually remember as a child seeing a news reel on this, showing a man racing a horse, and they have, the studies have proven a well-conditioned human can easily outrun a horse in a 26-mile marathon on a hot day. Well, Ahab's horse was pulling a chariot. It had extra work to do. Elijah was not necessarily a well-conditioned athlete, but he had God's hand on him, and he did stay in front of the horse all the way. It was an impressive accomplishment. It was a heroic feat, but not nearly so impressive and heroic as his faithfulness in prayer that brought rain back to Israel. Time to put a conclusion on this for today. I have a confession to make. When I was in fifth grade, I decided to be Batman. My friend and I had a reasonable conversation about this, and it really does make sense. We had concluded that it was not possible to be Superman because a human being cannot actually fly or be invulnerable or have x-ray vision. But Batman was different. He was a normal human who developed incredible physical skills and mentally exercised himself to be super smart. And I thought, well, I could do that. So I immediately set about on an exercise program and at the same time tried to learn some martial arts as well. I began reading the encyclopedia. I started with volume one with determination to fill my brain with marvelous facts. I even thought about how I was going to build my lair. Well, the ambition lasted about a day and a half. I soon realized that becoming Batman was a whole lot more work than what I really wanted to do. So I allowed myself to be distracted by the other things that appealed to the mind of a fifth grade boy. But I cannot say I totally lost that vision for becoming Batman over a few years after. I'd think about it again and think about how great it would be to do something fantastic in my life. I would daydream about being a man of of amazing accomplishments. Then reality would hit again along with schoolwork and the need to mow the lawn. And I would tell myself becoming Batman's just an impossible dream. Now many decades have passed, and my vision of being Batman is long gone. But I understand something, and that is it's not silly to want to be a person who lives a life where amazing things take place. That's not silly at all. Forget about a black cape, gray tights, and fancy shorts. Forget about punching villains in the face and sending creepy people back to outer space. This isn't about a comic book life. This is about a wonderful spiritual life. This is about the opportunity to focus on being a normal person who yet has a relationship with the true source of supernatural power.
This is about the opportunity all of us have to be someone who experiences answers to prayer and therefore sees the impossible become possible in our lives. This is the opportunity to be someone who really does hear God's voice. This is about the opportunity to be someone who takes a stand in the battle for truth and discovers God's power working in your life as you do so. We should all live with the expectation of seeing our great and wonderful God do great and wonderful things. My question is, do you have that expectation? Are we really living by faith in the almighty God of the universe? And would you please bow your heads and close your eyes that we might think specifically about how this applies to us individually. Assuming that you have put your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That matter of faith has been established for you. Well, then let me ask you, what kind of faith are you now living by? There's saving faith. There's also the faith that is what we would call living faith. Do you still believe God does the impossible? you still believe God answers prayer? Do you believe God is really there and do you, you want to know his voice? Do you want to be tuned in to how God wants to use you? Do you want your life to make a difference in this world for God's kingdom? Would you pray that God would make you a person who is truly used by him? Make you a person who is making a difference for his kingdom. And would you pray that God help you live in such a way that you really do sense what he wants to do in you and through you while you're in this world. Father in heaven, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the wonderful way it works in our lives. Once again, we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a final song.